Father, we pray you bless his preaching. Father, now as we come to this sacred hour where the people of God hear, I hear your word, we pray that you would speak. God, that you would speak not um, just for hearing, but God, that you'd speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and that the, the Holy Spirit would be would, would, would preached through me and lay this word upon the people of God's heart. God, I pray that we would understand that all that we have, every breath that we take, every dollar in our bank account, God, belongs to you. We pray that you would remind us of how you overcame all the false gods of Egypt and therefore you will overcome all the false gods in our life. We pray, God, that we would trust you there. We also just pray that we would, would understand that you are mighty to save. God, there are many people coming into this place today who are burdened with sin. God, they feel unforgivable. They feel weighed down and guilty and condemned. Oh, God, I pray that you would show them that you are mighty to save. God, that even the most vile among us, God, that you have come to, to, to shed your love and your grace upon, Father. So, God, I pray that you would do that. As we get to see that in, in the Word, we also get to see that in baptism, how you wash away our sins. God, I pray that you would help the people here realizing that they have forgiveness in Christ. And God, we pray that as we think about all the, the different places you've taken in our life and places we may not have expected to be, we pray, Lord, that you would give us a deep trust in your leading. That you are the one who guides us and directs us. So, Father, I pray that you would do far more than I could possibly ask or imagine, that you would help people see a little bit of God today in the Word, God. That they would tr come to love you more, that they'd be convicted of sin, and they'd be driven to the cross and they would find help of a gracious and kind Savior. So God, I pray that you be with us now as we preach your word and we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was thinking of a, uh, an opening um, introduction uh, this morning. Uh, I really sat down for about 40 minutes, and I could not come up with one. And I was sitting here thinking of our college graduates, and... Um, I just thought of how when they first came, uh, some of them first came to Park Baptist Church and just thinking about how much they have grown um, and remembering all that God has done. Uh, it really just moved, moved me, right? Thinking about how, what God has done in your life, but not only uh, moved me, but just thinking about your parents. You know, the more and more and older I get, the realize that I'm going to, you know, my kids are going to be leaving the house sooner rather than, than later and thinking about your parents and thinking about how they watch you walk across that stage, and they remember when, when you were just a little girl or a little boy, and now you're grown and you're, you're stepping into adulthood. And I think about how that remembering of the past really does fuel us forward. I think when we remember the grace that God has given us in the past, we, we become more grateful and more kind uh, in the present, and we are more grateful for what God has done. That's really what we want to focus on today. We want to, to see in the text of how God has given things in his word to the people of God so that we would remember, that we would remember who he is and what he has done for us, and that we would never forget because we are a people who are prone to forget. We are prone to forget all the, the kind grace that God has, has given us. And in this word, what you see, God has given us things to, to help us mark that remembrance. So I pray that we would do that this morning. If you have your Bibles with us, we're going to walk through Exodus chapter 13, beginning with our first point. Remember that all belongs to the Lord. Remember that all belongs to the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, 
Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now you remember that this, the Exodus happened because God took the firstborn of Egypt, both of male, of, of um, family and uh, beast. But here he's reminding the people of God that all that, that you have belongs to me. I have overcome all the false gods of Egypt, and now all that you have should be used to serve me. Because remember, when we're looking through the Exodus, the, the, the goal of the Exodus was not just freedom. It wasn't just freedom from slavery and, and bondage. You know, too often we think that, that, the, that think of slavery, we only think of people getting their freedom rather than thinking of what people are being freed to, not only from. Israel was freed from Egypt so that they could serve God. They were to set aside or consecrate their, their firstborn in a way of remembering that all belongs to God, that he has the power over everything. You know, too often, as Christians, we view life in a very similar way. We often think of how becoming a Christian saves us from God's wrath and eternal hell. And this is very true, and this is something we should rejoice in, that God in his kindness has not given us what we do deserve, his just punishment, but he has given us mercy. And yet, Christianity is so much more than merely being saved from something. We are being saved to something. You know, the historic church has always highlighted that people must repent and believe in Christ. In, in recent days in America, people have kind of watered down the call of the gospel. Uh, the church is often so focused on getting people to pray a prayer so they can boost their numbers that they have forgotten that when Jesus calls a man, he bids them come and die. All our lives belong to God. Every single dollar you own belongs to the Lord. Not just the money that you give, praise God for the money that you give, but it's the money that you spend on your clothes. The money that you spend on your vacations that you take or, or don't take. Or the homes that you buy or don't buy. We are saved, saved from slavery to sin and self. We are saved from this love of this world only so that we are free to serve the Lord. Peter mentions this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking about how we should interact with our government. He says this in verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is the emperor as supreme or to governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Anytime you see that in scripture, you should probably take notes. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter makes this application that we are, are people who are to live as free people, not using our freedom to, to do evil deeds, no, but using our freedom to serve the Lord. And beloved, we still have freedom to speak of Christ. That may be coming to an end. 
You know, some of our freedom, our, our freedom to talk of the gospel has been taken away from us. For some of you, it is dangerous for you to speak of Christ. Maybe not dangerous in the sense that you are going to be beat or whipped or jailed, but maybe you lose your job. Maybe you don't get a promotion. It is dangerous professionally to live as servants of Christ. And in our day in America, what what, what trumps all in the secular world is sexual freedom. So if you hold to a Christian sexual ethic, you are going to be marginalized in our society. But are you going to use the freedom that we have now to to, to live as servants of God? I don't think it means that we should be silent, but we should be winsome in how we talk of the gospel. We should take advantage of the opportunities that we have. So for, for you, how do you remember that all that you have personally belongs to the Lord? Life is a vapor. I mean, I could tell you that till I'm blue in the face. Life is a myth. Life is short. But the reason why I broke down earlier is because I was thinking about that very thing this morning. Then I think about our college graduates. I think about their, their parents when they, they see their little baby in their arms, and then they see them walk across the stage like that. What happened? Where do they go? They grow so fast. Why? Because life is a vapor. How are you using your minutes and your, and your hours and your days to serve the Lord? How do you remember that it all belongs to the Lord? Well, one of the ways God has written it into his word is he's given us a weekly calendar. Every Sunday, we consecrate our weeks unto the Lord. In Israel, they consecrated their firstborn as a reminder that all that we have belongs to God. And here, every single week, when we come here, what we're saying is that we fundamentally do not belong to this world. We fundamentally belong to God. Therefore, how we use our money, how we use our time belongs to Him. And we remind ourselves that week in and week out, we are a forgetful people. We give our money away as a sign that we ultimately are not trusting in this life, but the life that is to come. All belongs to God. We do that in our prayers, right? Before you sit down and eat some delicious barbecue and and beans and slaw tonight, right? You're going to, to take a moment and you're going to give thanks to God. Why? Because you know that the food before you was a gift by his hand. Well, we do that so naturally in the South, especially in our, in our prayer life. But how often do you, before you go into work, do you stop and you pray, God, I pray that I would use every second of, of every minute of this day to honor you. I pray that I would be a diligent worker because God says that we should work as we're working for the Lord and not for man. I pray that I would understand that the work that I do here is honorable and good and would give you honor and praise. Or those of you who are students, do you, do you pray each morning, God, I pray that you would give me the ability to focus when I study, that I would not drift away in, in, in focusing on, on, on worldly things or on social media. No, I'm going to fix my mind because God wants me to use my mind to, to worship him. Listen, it's not just that we want to, I think as Americans, we want to compartmentalize our life. I'm going to be a Christian here and here, but not here. Listen, we see this in Israel. All belongs to the Lord. All belongs to the Lord. We see this in Romans 14. There's a, there are issues in the church, what, what, what people should do, what they shouldn't do. Uh, and, and Paul writes, one person esteems one day is better than another 
while one esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now hear me. For none of us lives to himself, or none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We know that we've been bought with a price. So when, when uh, Kai and Kaylee come up later for baptism, one of the questions I'm going to ask, ask them is, do you renounce Satan and all his ways? They're going to say, I do. What they're saying is, I say yes to Jesus as my master and my king, that I have no right to say no to him. All belongs to him. So we can make a myriad of applications here, but very simply for you, how do you actively, functionally remember that all belongs to the Lord? Secondly, we want to remember the strong hand of the Lord. Remember the strong hand of the Lord. You see this really through uh, verse 3 through 16. I'm going to read that. I want you to see how God wants you to remember. And then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery? For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign in your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be, the, be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue as an appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all, the first op- all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of, the, of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your head, hand, or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. If you see that again and again, you see that strong hand, strong hand, strong hand. In the in the early um, uh, early church in Israel, in ancient Israel, they did not have books like we have them, right? So we all have copies of God's word, and we're looking at that. That was they were an auditory culture. So when they wanted to, to highlight things that the that the audience, that the Holy Spirit, by, inspired by God, 
uh, wanted the audience to understand the re it was the hearers, right? They were hearing it. So you would have, if you would have heard it, strong hand, strong hand, strong hand. That is God's way of reminding you this is what he wants you to remember. He delivered the Israelites with a strong hand. And what did he do? He gave them a meal. He gave them a Passover meal and a, and a festival. So often when God brings salvation, he gives people a meal. Listen to what one pastor, Philip Ryken, says. He says, having food was not unique to Passover. Eating and drinking run right through Scripture, from Melchizedek bringing out bread and wine for Abraham, Genesis 14, to the wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9. Many biblical worship services end with a meal. Moses and the elders of Israel ate and drank on the holy mountain, Exodus 24. When Ezra and Nehemiah renewed the covenant, they told God's people to enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, Nehemiah 8. Most Old Testament sacrifices were to be eaten, either by the people or by the priests, or both. When Christ came to inaugurate a new covenant, he gave his followers the bread and wine of communion. God always presents the benefits of salvation to us in a form of a meal. Now, why does he do that? Why does God give us a meal? Well, I think it's, it, it gives us something very tangible to feel and to touch and to taste. We, we, we eat this meal and we remember what God has done for us, the salvation that he, is, he brings us. But also when you eat a meal, what happens? People eat together, right? You come together and it shows this horizontal fellowship that happens among God's, God's people. If you want friends, some of you are like, yeah, I really want some friends. If you want friends, eat with people, right? I'm not just saying that because of my size, right? I'm saying that because, listen, if you spend time around the table, you eat, you talk, you fellowship, you build sweet friendships. But I think primarily why God gives us a meal, it's to communicate intimacy. Time and time again, you see God saying, invite me in and I will eat with you. You see that in Revelation chapter 3. Why? Because eating a meal together was a sign of intimacy. It was saying, listen, I want to be with you. I delight to be with you. Something very sweet about that. But here in this text, what we see after this God given this meal and this specifications he gives, he does so that we would remember the strong hand of the Lord. Now listen, why is that important to us today? Well, listen, every single one of us has trials. Some of you are battling cancer. Some of you can't pay your bills. Some of you can't find jobs. Some of you want children and can't have them. Some of you are lonely, despair, overwhelmed with life, chronic pain, fracture relationships, dealing with death. I mean, I could go on and on and on. We all have trials. I mean, Israel was in slavery, in harsh slavery, in Egypt for 400 years. And what did God do? With a strong hand, he brought him out. How good is it for you and I to know that in the midst of our trials, that our God is able, that our God is strong. In Genesis 18, 14, um, God told Abram and, Sar and Sarai that they were going to have a child. And Sarah laughed. There's no way that I'm going to have a child. And this is what God said. Genesis 18, 14, to Abram to tell Sarah. He responded by asking, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
I think it's a good question that you should ask in your trials. Is anything too hard for the Lord? In Jeremiah 32, verse 27, he says the same thing. He says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? That's actually a, a very different scenario. Uh, there, I mean, they, they, they really are the, the same angle. They're both about God bringing salvation to, to the whole world. Uh, but in, in Jeremiah, when he, when he referenced that, God was saying, I'm going to bring the people of Israel into exile. They have not followed my word. They have not walked obedient with me. So I'm going to allow a, a wicked nation to come and capture my people and take them into exile. And then he says, I'm going to bring them out. And he says this in verse 37 of Jeremiah 32. You'll see why, why this is important in a second. It says, Behold, I will gather them from all the, the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts, and they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. See, God has a singular purpose in the Scriptures. His singular purpose is his own glory and the salvation of his people. God wants to bring his people to know that in the midst of their trials, that they would know that he has a mighty strong hand in salvation. Because our greatest problem is not our cancer. It is not our, our trials. It is not our joblessness or childlessness. Now, our greatest problem is sin against the holy God. He offered his strong hand of salvation in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we can know that we have a God who is mighty to save. Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. See, what God wants to do, God wants to show you that he has the power to forgive your sins. He has the, the ability to, to take all the junk that you've done in your life and remember it no more to cast as far as the east is from the west. In the New Testament, Jesus was with his disciples, and a, the rich young ruler came up to him. And he says, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you know, keep God's law, and all these I've done since I was a boy. And then the Lord Jesus looked at him and says, one thing that you lack, go and sell all your possessions and, and follow, follow me. And the man said, he turned away sad. And the disciples were watching this. They were seeing this morally upright man who, who's followed God obediently, morally, in his, his entire life, walking away from God, meaning that he cannot inherit eternal life. And the disciples are going, what? How could anybody be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Listen. If you're here and you have not trusted in Christ, there may be reasons why, intellectually, why you may not trust that Jesus is the only God. But I think the main reason why people don't trust in Christ is because they want to continue to live in sin. They want to continue to enjoy all that this world 
has to offer. Young people especially. Young people want to continue to live in the ways of this world. As you get older, you realize that that is a fool's errand, right? And you have a lot more regret. But I just tell you right now, if you are those people who are, have not yet trusted in Christ, that you are loving this world, and you want to continue to live in this world, I pray that you would repent and turn to Christ. I pray that you would understand that you would find a welcome Savior who wants to embrace you in his arms. And there, there may be some of you who don't come to Christ because you think that I've got to clean myself up first. Why would anyone want me? Do you realize what I've done, the sins that I've committed in my life? God would, would never take me. We feel that we are unforgivable. So you need to remember that the strong hand of the Lord delivered Israel out of slavery. He can deliver you out of slavery to sin and bondage. He may, you may feel that he, he can forgive you, but you can never overcome the sin that you're struggling with today. He has a strong hand that is mighty to save. God has the power. Look at verse 8. I'm not sure if you saw this. It says in verse 8, You shall tell your son on that day, when he asks you why we do this feast, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. You see how personalized he did that? Listen, it's not just we have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but we have to know the facts. No, we have to actually apply that to our hearts, that we have to believe that God is our Savior, our Lord, our Master. And you get to see that even today in, in baptism. Well, he has the power, but he leads us where he wills. The third point, we want to remember the divine leading of the Lord. Remember the divine leading of the Lord. I'm going to read verse 17 to the end of the chapter. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt and equipped, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. He will carry you up, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sokoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by the day in a pillar of cloud to lead them all along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by night and by, by day and by night. The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. It's God chose not to take the Israelites the fastest route. It says that I could have taken them to the way of the Philistines. That was the, the near way. But he chose to take them by the Red Sea. The land of the Philistines was riddled with, with war, and he was protecting his people from being disheartened with seeing war and then therefore wanting to go back to Egypt. I mean, how many times in, in your life that we are upset at how long it takes for something to happen? And I'm not just talking at a restaurant, right? I'm talking about you want to be somewhere else in your life. You want to be farther along in your career, farther along in your relationship. You know, we, we kind of, we ask this, God, why, why are you taking so long? And I would just say that our impatience may be a sign of our immaturity. God knows best, y'all. God knows best for us. I mean, how much has the Lord spared you from along the way? I love how one pastor notes, how many what-ifs has the Lord spared you from? 
I mean, how many times have you just thought about the what-ifs of your life? What if I didn't go to this college and, and meet this person? What if I, I didn't come to this church and, 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 and uh, learn of the gospel? What if, what if, what if? Listen, there's a lot of, of what-ifs that didn't happen to you. There's a lot of what-ifs that God spared you from. That if you went this way and God just wouldn't let you go that way, that would have been trouble and, and, and pain for you. God has protected you in so many ways. In so many things he's done in your life, sparing you from, from negative what-ifs. The Lord is not surprised where you're at right now. Wherever you are in your journey, the Lord is not surprised. I think about my own journey and having a desire, just recently going to Washington, D.C. When, when I went to Washington, D.C. as a 22-year-old, I wanted to, to have my life be in Washington. Right? I wanted to influence the inner city of Washington, D.C. I wanted to influence Embassy Row on Massachusetts Avenue. I wanted to, to, to be a witness of the gospel in the nation's capital and then affect the world. And you know what? That wasn't the Lord's will for my life. And when I left, I was, for, for a season, I was embittered against the Lord. Lord, why'd you do this? Why are you taking me there? And now I get to look back, right? And I see God's kind and gracious and purposeful, purposeful plan in my life, bringing me down to a small church. It's going from the nation's capital to a, to a place where the nearest town was 600 people, Davis Station, South Carolina, right? Have you heard of it? Exactly, right? You know, and, and just looking back about all the things that God has done to bring me to this place and this church and the people whom I love. What if God didn't do that? Well, see, God knows best. Why? Because he's the one who is leading us. He did not take them the way of the Philistines. Why? Because he knew that if they saw how hard the journey was going to be, they would not have gone. They would have gone there, they would have seen how hard it was, and they would have rebelled. And they would have went right back to Egypt. Isn't God kind not letting you know how hard things are going to be? Because when you're in the midst of something that's difficult, if you knew how hard it was going to be, you know what you would do? Nope, not going to go that way. But then you're in the middle of it. Guess what? Guess we're here. Guess we've got to press on. But it says God did not lead them to the way of the, the Philistines. But look at verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Think about that. Now, if you're going to be chased by a a, a vicious army that the Egyptians had, the last place you want to be is in a place where there's no place for you to go. So you have the Egyptians behind you. You have a Red Sea in front of you. What am I going to do? Well, God in his kindness led him there. And we'll see next week why God did so. And right there in the middle of this story, you see God mentioning Joseph. Joseph, before he died, he said, God will visit you and he will surely carry up my bones from here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. See, Joseph, even before there was a need for an exodus, believed in God. He knew that the Lord was going to bring out his people from Egypt to the promised land. That Egypt was just a, a stopping point, a, a resting place. He believed in the, in the future exodus. You know, friends, I have stood beside a number of burials 
where in a coffin before me there's a lifeless body. Where that body is being placed in the ground. Christians have always historically buried their dead as a sign of a promise. They would put the body in the ground because they knew that one day God would raise that body up. As we just sung, when the trump resounds and the Lord descends, God will call all people to himself. There's two ministers, John Ryland and Andrew Gifford. Uh, they were both ministers um, in, in England. Uh, Ryland spoke of Gifford's internment when Gifford passed away on July 2nd, 1784. Hear these words. Ryland said of his old friends to those who gathered at the, the internment, Farewell, thou dear old man. We leave thee in possession of death till the resurrection day. But we will bear witness against thee, O king of terrors, at the mouth of this dungeon. Thou shalt not always have possession of this dead body. It shall be demanded by thee, it shall be demanded of thee by the great conqueror. And at that moment thou shalt resign thy prisoners. O ye ministers of Christ, you people of God, you surrounding spectators, prepare, prepare to meet this old servant of Christ at that day, at that hour, when the whole place, when this whole place shall be nothing but life and death shall be swallowed up in victory. Joseph believed that one day God would bring his mighty hand to bear on Egypt, to carry his people to the promised land. We believe that God will one day bring his mighty hand to bear against the devil and death itself and carry his people to the promised land. And on that day, the Lord will call aloud with a loud voice, Arise, people of God, Arise, and he will call you by name and say, Come forth, come forth. Beloved, remember the Lord Jesus' words. I will come again and take you to myself. Right there in Exodus 3, 13, 21. And the Lord went before them. Do you see how the Bible just sticks together? The Lord always goes before us. The Lord is coming. Take heart. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and wait in hope for that blessed day when all God's people will hear their Savior say, Arise! And God's people will say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we do thank you that you will come again. We, as your people, say now, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.